Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky talks about faith, looking at Luke 7, verses 1 through 10, and the centurion's faith in Jesus' healing. Matt talks about how many times God operates not on his ability, but by our faith. Our idea of Jesus can limit how he works in our lives, and Matt digs deeper into what that looks like. We hope you enjoy this message. Amen. All right, be seated, please. And again, welcome, everyone. My name is Matt Densky. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Fellowship Greenville. And it is so good to be with you here tonight. If it's your first time ever or first time in a while or whatever, I want to welcome you tonight. And thank you for coming and remind you that you are so loved and that you belong here. And uh, we, we give God thanks that you're here. You'll find out pretty quick that we are all about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We think he's the center of life and hope in this world. And so we're about him. And we believe in that. And we hope and pray you'll come to believe in that as well. But you belong here and you're loved here uh, just because you're here. So thanks for being here tonight. It is our summer uh, rhythm. We're in our summer kind of time of the year, which is always kind of fun. We typically try to meet once a week, and then in the week that we're off, do some kind of an event, like a pool party or a serve day or something like that. And so we have this every other week rhythm uh, going on. I'd like to begin tonight with a story, if you'd allow me, and I guess in, in kind of common fashion, it's a story about myself that's slightly embarrassing to me, but I thought, let's go ahead and share it with you guys just for the sake of laughter. Why not? Am I right? So I'd like to share a story tonight, if you'd allow me. It is a, it's a love story. It is a it is a love story. I don't know if you guys are ready for that. I don't I don't know where everyone is on the relational spectrum, how sensitive you are, how prone you are to to loves right now. But it is a love story. Is that cool with you guys? Okay, good. Okay, one person's just bitter. One person had a really rough experience. They're not about it. So sorry, sorry, man. Uh, Okay, so I, I was in seventh grade. And I was in love, man. And uh, I mean, not really, I was in seventh grade, but I thought I was, right? And there was this, this girl and I had this mad crush on her. And it was in that same year that a country band named Lone Star was out, yeah? Thank you, some of my millennials in the room were like, oh, yeah, man. And uh, there, was a, there was a band called Lone Star and they had a, a top chart song called Amazed. And it was all about this girl. And he was singing about how amazing she is and that he's amazed by her. And uh, I'd like to play you a little clip of that song. I mean, I want to get us in the vibes, man. Like, I want you to be a seventh grade Matty D. Like, here we go. All right. So let's, let's roll. Like, get yourself there. Here we go. Yeah. My son. Yes. Oh, forever. I want that girl forever. In seventh grade, I knew she's my forever. Yeah, come on. Baby, I'm amazed by you. Come on now. Am I right? Has anyone ever heard that song before? Yes. I mean, it's still popular. It is still a bop, man. I don't, I don't care who you are, dude. But when I was in seventh grade, it was kind of new. And seventh grade, Maddie D would you know, I'd make up a music video in my mind. (laughs) That's not not the joke part yet. And and I would imagine 
you know, me and this girl to get like, like I would make the music video in my mind and imagine us together. And, be, and this song would be on repeat in my disc Walkman player with my foam headphones that were like this big, little metal wire. It'd be on repeat, anti-skip function on. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and dude, all day, every day, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life. Like I was just all about, in seventh grade, I knew, man, I knew. She was the one, and thankfully she wasn't because I'm with the greatest girl in the world now. But, but in seventh grade, I thought she was, and that song, Amazed, was, was like, yeah, every day, all the time. I was, I was imagining this, and some of you guys in the room are judging me, and Danielle, I'm looking at you, and, and that's okay. But some, you guys are pretending like this isn't like your life. Some of you guys in here are like, oh, that's so lame, dude. I've never done that. I've never done that. You're pitiful in the seventh grade. Whatever, dude. I'm gonna take us down. I'm gonna take us down some memory lane right quick. Let me let me play just just a little bit of a couple of songs here. See if this one rings a bell. And don't try to don't try to play me, man. Yeah, this is only last year. Some of you guys have already tried to move on. Always talked about. Come on now. To your house. Come on. I drove in the suburbs, y'all. Yes, some of you guys, some of you guys are very familiar. Some of you guys are very familiar with that song. You know why you're familiar with that song? It's because you've done what I did. Don't front. Don't be in here like, oh, you're so dumb, dude. I'm amazed by you. You know, if you've had a crush and you're in this room, you've had that one song that captures like your emotions because you are so amazed by that person. And you do fantasize in your head and you do imagine that you're dating. And sometimes, sometimes the love song eventually becomes the breakup song, it becomes a little painful. All right, try this one on for size. We're going a little more old school. Try this one on for size. Yeah. See, I knew. You guys were in here like, no, dude, I've never done that. And then John Legend comes like, all of me, man. All of it. Yeah. Drawing me in and then pushing me out. What a confusing girl, by the way. Yes. Come on, John. John takes us there, man. I knew a girl once that, want, that wanted that very song to be the song she walked down the aisle to at her wedding. I was like, oh, okay. Look, dude, to each their own. All right, here we go. We're going down memory lane. Some of you guys aren't ready for this one. Yeah, I, I know, man. I already know. You guys are, you guys had that boy, girls, you're like, imagine, oh, like, oh, dude. Yes. I wish I, you're pretending, Justin's singing this to me. I know he is, like, in your mind. What a great, this is a bop, dude. I forgot, I forgot how the bass hits on this one, man. This is good. Yeah. Yes. So be honest with me, be honest with me, girls. Yeah, be honest with me, girls. When that song dropped, how many of you were imagining Justin was singing that to you? Thank you, Austin, for your honesty, yes. I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Justin, yes, yes. Thank you, Daniel. One, Maddie, you're the only honest girl in the room. I, I don't think so. Come on, everybody. Y'all were like, JB, he knows me. He doesn't know me, but it's for me. He knows me. All right, here we go. <laughs> we will get married. Uh, oh, this is a classic. This is a classic. Let's, let's roll this next one. Come on. 
Yes. Every guy in the room is pretending like you don't know the lyrics. Thank you, Drew. I know, I know we do. Every guy in the room is pretending like, uh, who, who's this? Oh, Taylor Swift, uh, I've heard of her. Every single guy in the room has had their moment in their room, doors shut, doors locked, blinds closed, jamming to some T-Swift. Don't lie. Do not lie. Every guy has. All right. Last but not least, maybe this is a little bit more of a breakup song than a love song, but it hits home. Yeah. I only wanted to break your walls. Man, it's, it's heartbreaking. I just wanted to break your walls and said, you, you wrecked me, man. Like, if that doesn't hit home, y'all are lying. Yeah. So now that we're all on the same page, seventh grade, Matty D, y'all are making fun of me, Danielle. And I know every single person in this room has had that song that has hit deep. It comes on in the car. You're alone. It's late at night. You roll the windows down. You're screaming to the tree line as you drive. I know. I know. And for me, it was the Lone Star, it was the Lone Star Amazed song. And the reason I even bring that up is because of that word amazed, that word amazed, it's a really significant word. And it's, it's used in the, the gospels to describe how Jesus feels only twice. Like it's used other times to describe how people responded to Jesus, like they were amazed by him. Or, or some of your translations might say they marveled at him or, or surprised by him, but it's only used to describe Jesus's response to people twice. So it's a really rare application to Jesus. Like think about it, if you are God in the flesh and you came from heaven and you've got all the omnis, right? Like you're, you're omnipotent and, and omnipresent and, and you've got all this power, even though it may be limited in the, in the human form, he, he relinquished some divine power. Even if you came from heaven though and you had those, like it would take a lot to amaze you. But we have two times in the Gospels where Jesus is amazed. And I want to look at those two times tonight. So if tonight had a title, if, if you're taking notes and you're like, ooh, what's the title? Tonight would be like amazing faith. The word for tonight that we're focusing on is amazed, but it's really about faith. It's really about these people that Jesus responded to. He was amazed with their faith. So let's go ahead and jump in Luke chapter 7. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7. Jesus has been doing ministry for a while. His reputation is growing. People know who he is. People are beginning to come to him for healings and miracles and to hear him teach and to see how he and the religious leaders of the day are going to clash and butt heads and to see what all the drama is about. And, and people are kind of becoming nomadic a little bit. They are traveling with him. They want to see what happens next. So his, his reputation is definitely preceding him and spreading and in Luke chapter 7, we, we pick up this story. It's also recorded in Matthew's gospel, but we're going to focus on this one. After Jesus had finished all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. So this different city, this different town. He entered Capernaum, and a centurion had a servant. Now, so we're getting some character introductions here. We have Jesus, and now we have a centurion and a servant. So a centurion is a Roman soldier and, and a pretty high ranking Roman soldier. And so he would have been wealthy. 
He would have had status and reputation. He would have had a lot of authority. He, he would have been someone who's, who's pretty important and in charge of a lot of people. And this particular centurion had a servant, someone who served in his home. Now, something you gotta understand about the, the modern day context of what's going on here, or ancient, ancient context rather, is in Jesus's day, uh, Israel, the nation in which he was born and uh, part of as a citizen, he was a Jewish man, Israel had been conquered by Rome. And so Jews disliked Romans very, very much. Romans came in and kind of held power over the Jewish people, over Israel. And this particular uh, soldier, this, this character introduced in the scripture here is a Roman soldier. Like the Jewish people would not have liked him and he would not have liked them. Like there was such animosity and hatred against Rome and the Jews. And you can understand why. If, if, if an army comes in and dominates you and then oppresses you and, and controls you and regulates a lot of how you live and what you do, yeah, it's not gonna make you too happy. And so a lot of Jews and, and Romans just did not get along, which is why this is so interesting that Luke, the, the author of this gospel, is focusing on the centurion. It's kind of like the least likely candidate that you would think of to be highlighted. And we're gonna see what happens here. So a Roman centurion had a servant and now we get some context clues. The servant was sick and was at the point of death. We don't have any other information about the servant. We don't know what gender they were. We don't know how old they were. We don't know why they mattered so much to the centurion. We don't know what the relationship was. We don't know anything. All we know is that there's this very important, very powerful, high-ranking, wealthy Roman soldier and he has someone who serves in his house who means a lot to him, a very dear person in his mind. They're a priority, they matter, which is really interesting. And I think it speaks to the character of this centurion. Like it's, it's a servant, it's not family, it's, it's not a fellow soldier. Like there's no loyalty due to the fact that they're brother in arms or anything like that. It is someone who serves in his house and yet he is burdened by that. He has compassion and empathy for that. And he desperately wants help. What's really, really interesting is he would have the means to seek medical help through any venue he chose. He had the status, he had the reputation, he had the power, he had the authority, he had the money. He would have chosen, he could have chosen any venue he chose. And instead, interestingly, he hears about this obscure Jewish teacher, this rabbi who is traveling through his city at the moment and decides that this is the best hope of healing for his servant that he cares so much about, which really speaks to Jesus's reputation as well, that this high-ranking, important, rich, uh, wealthy, influential Roman soldier would actually seek Jesus out. The, the, the servant was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus in Capernaum, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come at once to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, listen, he is worthy to have you do this for him. He loves our nation and he's the one who built us our synagogue. So we, we have this really interesting story unfolding. This Roman soldier who typically would hate the Jews and the Jews would hate him, has a really interesting relationship with the Jews. This guy seems to be actually a man of high character. He, he sends the Jewish elders to Jesus to ask Jesus on his behalf to come and heal his servant. And the Jewish elders go and they tell Jesus about him. He's worthy of you to do this. Like he's a good dude. I know that the Jews and the Romans don't get along and I know we hate each other, but he's different. 
He actually likes our nation. He values us as a people. In fact, he even built our synagogue, our place of worship. He is worthy to have you do this. And so this particular Roman soldier seems to be a little bit different. He seems to be a man of honor. And where he's stationed and and where he has power and authority, he seems to be kind towards the Jewish people to value their customs and culture, even paying for a place of worship for them, which again is how we get this glimpse into his life. He's probably very wealthy. He's influential. He has power. He has status. And so he has this sick servant and he's wondering what to do. And the Jewish elders there are probably consulting with him. And it's like, hey, you know what, man? We we have this... (laughs) this guy who does these miracles and he's actually in town. We could go and talk to him on, on your behalf if you want us to. I mean, this is kind of how this thing works. We'd go talk to him and then he comes here and he would heal, heal your servant. Centurion's like, really? Like, I mean, what's it cost? And they're like, probably nothing. He, he kind of does this for free. And it's like, oh, this is great. And, and he's got like a proven track record and the Jewish elders are probably like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a reputation, bro. He, he has healed like lepers and, and, and other people. Like he's, he's cast demons out of, like he's got stuff going for him, I think. This may be the guy. So the Roman soldier putting his faith in this obscure Jewish teacher named Jesus allows the Jewish elders to go to him. And they say, this man is worthy of you to do this. Now, what's really fascinating to me about this story is like Luke, as he writes his gospel, as he writes his book, Luke tends to highlight, he has a tendency and a habit as he writes he tends to highlight the most least likely people to come to believe in Jesus. And I love that about him. Like his gospel out of all four is the most universal, so to speak. Like he, he loves giving us a glimpse into the kingdom of God is for all people everywhere. It's not this box that you have to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, do certain things, and then you get in. Luke is keen on this idea that God loves all people and all people are valuable to him. And the ones you would never suspect, the ones that you would just, oh, a high-ranking Roman soldier, there's no way that he's gonna have faith in Jesus. And Luke has this story in his gospel and we're just blown away. Luke is the most universal gospel. He loves highlighting these, these characters that you would think never would belong in the narrative of Jesus's story. And, and it's interesting, you know, when we read the scriptures, we tend to read it in like past tense, which that makes sense, right? It's like 2,000 years ago, like this happened in past tense, <laughs> which I get. But because it's past tense, we have a really hard time putting ourselves in the story. And these really, really amazing passages we have ten, tended to hear over the years or become familiar with or already know kind of where this thing is going. And so we kind of lose awe of what Jesus is doing. We, we kind of assume that the biblical uh, characters knew they were being written about. The, the scripture did not exist yet. Like the New Testament was not written yet. There wasn't some director off on the sideline being like, all right, so Roman centurion, here's what you say to the Jewish elders. And then Jesus, here's how you respond to that. Like this is all happening in real time. These are real people. And these details are happening in real time. And so yeah, while it's appropriate to read in past tense, we also have to insert ourselves into the story. Like this is a real character. And it's fun to ask the question like, man, how would we have done this? How would we have responded? Would I have done it this way? And so the Jewish elders beg Jesus, beseech Jesus. This man is worthy. He's a good man. You should come and do this for him. And Jesus, verse six, went with them. He was not far from the house and the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. 
Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but said the word and let my servant, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes and to another, come, and he comes into my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Now, now that's our word, amazed. It's translated marveled, amazed, surprised, but that's our word. Jesus was amazed at him. One of only two times describing Jesus's reaction to people. Jesus was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, this would have included his 12 disciples. This would have, this would have included his boys, his squad. He turned to the crowd following him and he makes this statement that is so radical and seems hyperbolic, seems exaggerated, but it's not. Jesus says this, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus is basically saying, I've never seen faith like this. Turns to the Jewish crowd who was awaiting the coming Messiah, who expected the rabbi. Speaking to his disciples who had been walking with him for a while now. Jesus is amazed at who? The Roman soldier. And I love that Luke does this because somewhere in this culture, they would do the same things that we do today. They would have categories for people. Oh, that person, they'll never come to believe in Jesus. Oh, that person, there's no hope for them. They're too far gone. That person, they don't even deserve Jesus, bro. They're so far off the deep end. Dude, they're so messed up. You can pray for them if you want, but dude, they're never coming to faith. We have those people that if, if they walked through the doors right now, there'd be some thought in the back of our mind like, oof, this is uncomfortable, dude. Like, I know who they are. I know what they've done. I know the secret life they have. I've seen their snap stories. Come on, man. Like, what are they doing here at church? We have those categories. This religious culture that we love to create. It's called judgment, by the way. People would have done the same thing there. Jesus makes this statement, I've never seen faith like this. You don't think that crowd would be like, oh, <coughs> what? Man, I'm a Jewish. I'm a Jewish person. I've waited for the Messiah. We think you might be him. We're following you, bro. We've become nomadic. We left our jobs. We've taken days off. I don't have any more PTO. I've taken all my vacation days. I dipped into my spendings to come. And, what are you talking about? He has more faith than me? He's a Roman. It would have been that same box category of like, this person can't be it. Jesus says, I have not even found faith like this in all of Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, the centurion's servant, when they went back home, they found his servant well. So Jesus healed the servant. Now, why is this so radical? Like what's going on in this story that makes this such a standout thing? Other than the fact that it's a Roman soldier having faith that's, that goes beyond any Jewish person that Jesus had experienced. What's so amazing about this story? Why was Jesus so amazed at the centurion? Like the title in your Bible probably says like Jesus heals the centurion's servant, right? Like it probably has something like that for this little passage. And that's because the biblical translators are categorizing. Well, this is what these verses are about. But the focus is not really about the servant. Like think about it. There's no details. We don't know anything about the servant. All we know is that the centurion value, this, the, the story is not about the servant. The story is about the centurion and his faith and Jesus's response to it. So 
The centurion is desperate to heal his servant. And so he, he meets with these Jewish elders. They coach him on what to do. Listen, man, this is how it works. You, you, you go and you ask the rabbi to come and the rabbi comes to your house and he'll kind of probably lay hands on, maybe even anoint with oil. And then he'll pray and your servant will probably be healed. Like, this is how this thing works. And centurion's like, yeah, go for it, sure. And so the elders go and talk to Jesus and Jesus begins to walk towards the centurion's house. And then the Roman soldier, this high-ranking, influential, powerful, wealthy centurion is thinking about it more. And he's like, no, wait a minute, what am I doing? Like, I, Jesus is a man of authority. Like, clearly, he, he's in authority. I'm a man in authority. I understand how, oh, I don't know what happened there. I understand how this works. Like, I give orders and people carry them out. Jesus says things and they happen. He, he tells the demons to leave and they leave. He speaks to the weather and it works. He, he prays and God hears. Like the Roman centurion goes back home and it, it's a pretty black and white logic. I grant you it's, it's pretty simplistic, but it still, it still works. Like he's thinking in his mind, oh, I know how this, like I'm in authority, he's in authority. He doesn't need to come all the way to my house. Like in the, arm, in, in, in the army, in the, in the Roman army, if there's people who rank higher than me, they don't come and talk to me in person about what orders I have. They send a letter and they sign it or they stamp it. They put their seal on it. And that seal is a mark of their authority. They send their word. They don't come physically. He's putting all this together because of his profession. And he realized, wait a minute, he doesn't need to come to my house. So he sends other people to t talk to Jesus before he gets there. He's like, look, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. I know who you are. I'm not worthy for you to come under my room, roof. Just listen, I'm an authority, you're an authority. I give a word and it happens. I know that if you give a word right now, it will happen. That's what's so amazing about this centurion's faith. Because we have to realize up until this point in the life of Jesus, every single healing, and I'm talking every single healing, depended upon Jesus's physical proximity. Nobody knew that you could be healed from a distance. It had never happened before. And it wasn't a Jewish person who figured it out, who's like digging into the Old Testament scriptures and studying about Messiah and his power. It is not some religious person who's steeped in the tradition of the Messiah who realized it. It's the most least likely character, a Roman high-ranking, influential, wealthy centurion who sends a word to this obscure Jewish rabbi, you don't need to come to my house. I'm not even worthy of that. I know what it means to be in authority. Send a word and it is as good as done. And it's that kind of faith that amazed Jesus. He hears it. He's like, <laughs> like he looks at all of his people, this huge Jewish crowd. And he's like, none of you have ever asked me to do this. Every one of you has depended upon my physical proximity. He gets it. And Jesus was amazed at his faith. Nobody knew that healing could be done from a distance until somebody asked. So here's what's so amazing about this story to me. I think the Roman centurion thought outside of the box of the typical ways about thinking about faith. It was the religious people the ones who were familiar with it, the ones who were comfortable in it, the ones who had heard about it all during their childhood and who grew up in it, those were the ones who actually limited Jesus in his abilities because they only thought in a certain box. It was the outsider, the one no one suspected who actually began to understand what God can do. 
And here's what that means. And, and this is kind of a scary thought, but it's also a challenging thought. Jesus, after the Jewish elders came and talked to him the first time, Jesus actually began walking towards the centurion's house, right? Like he was willing to go. I'm gonna go heal, sure. Jesus was going. And then the centurion sent friends saying, no, 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 just send the word. I get it. I thought about it a little bit more. Just send the word. It's as good as done. But Jesus was walking to his house, which means that Jesus, God in the flesh, God himself, is willing to walk down roads unnecessarily when he could be doing it differently. Jesus knew he could heal from a distance, but he's willing to walk down roads unnecessarily so that he's not forcing something upon us that we are not ready to experience because we don't have the faith to think outside the box, to ask differently, to be curious about that, to be hungry for this thing. So many times in our lives, God operates not by his ability, but by our faith. Many times in our life, hear me on this, God operates not by his ability, not about what he's able to do, but by our faith. Jesus knew he could heal from a distance, but he was willing to walk down the road to do it in physical proximity. Why? Because that's what somebody asked for. But the moment someone thought about it a little bit more and said, whoa, 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 what am I? This is, I know who this is. He gives the word and it's done. Don't even worry about coming to my, just say it and it's done. Jesus, <laughs> that is faith like I've never seen. Because someone began to think outside of the box. And your relationship with Jesus, have you begun to use sentences like, ah, oh, dude, it's just, I'm kind of bored with it. Like, I just don't feel it anymore. Like, I, I, I just, I'm not connecting with God like I used to. It's a little bit boring, if I'm honest. Like, I'm not excited about it like I used to be. And one of the questions I would pose to you would be, have you allowed the familiarity of Jesus to allow you to lose your faith? The soldier thought about it differently and his faith amazed Jesus. As you guys know, I love this generation. I love student ministry. I've been in it a long time. I've got a heart for it. And I truly believe, I'm not just saying this because it's like, oh, they're in the room. Like, let me, mm. no, I truly believe that your generation might be the most well-positioned generation to lead a passionate, Jesus-loving revival where people come to understand that Jesus is a real person who offers real life, the best life, that he's not contained and limited to some building that you go to once a week and you don't see how it matters at all because your family doesn't seem to change from anything they're hearing from the stage. It is your generation, I think, that might be, might be the most primed to actually lead this thing and bring many, many people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Why do I think that? Because my generation, millennials, most of my generation have walked away from the faith. Like many of, of my generation have watched their friends leave the faith. Most of your generation, Gen Z, didn't grow up in church. And so you're not watching your friends walk away from Jesus. You're trying to get your friends to come to know Jesus. 
Like it's an entirely different playing field. There's a story that I heard on a, on a, I was listening to a podcast. I have not been able to get it out of my head. I immediately, wherever Rachel is, I don't know where you are. Hey, Ray, Ray. Immediately after I listened to the podcast, I was like, dude, you gotta listen to this. It's so good. This is one of the best podcasts I've ever heard. Um, it was amazing. And there's this story in this podcast about these two teenagers. They, they live up in the Northeast. These two teenagers, they believe in Jesus. They love Jesus. They have a heart to share Jesus uh, with the students in their school. They're in high school, just like you guys are. And they wanna share Jesus with their classmates. And there's these other two students in this story that are like, the partiers, like they are known, they have reputations, <clears throat> like super popular, super cool, like they throw parties and everybody comes, right? Like they're, they're that kind of party. It's just the culture of that high school. And so there was this one uh, rave party that they wanted to throw. And these two Christian students were like, hey, you know what? We actually have connections to one of the best venues in town. Like what if, what if, let's just get crazy, but what if we went to the, to the party students and we told them we could get them the best venue in town at no cost to them. And what if they hosted their next party at this venue that we could get them for free contingent upon they let us preach the gospel for 30 minutes at the end of the night. Like that's the deal. And so they actually went to the partiers and they were like, dude, okay, we know you guys throw some bangers. What about this? We're able to get you the best venue in town. It's yours for free but you have to let us preach the gospel for half an hour at the end of the night. And the party dudes are like, really? Like, that's the deal, that's it? And they're like, yes. But also, all the money that you would have spent on whatever venue you were gonna get, spend it on advertising because we want as many students at this thing as possible. And the party guys were like, all right, bet. And so they got this, they got this venue for free and it was a banger, man. Like, I think, I think in the story they said a couple thousand students showed up to this thing. Like, I mean, like, y'all. And the end of the night at this thing, it wasn't like, oh, 6 p.m., we should probably wind down. Like, it was like, yo, I mean, it's like in the a.m. right now, 12, 1, 2 a.m., people are like wasted and blazed, you know what I mean? And so, but the, the party's wrapping up and the two Christian students got up and they preached the gospel for half an hour to a room full of drunk and high and and distracted students who were making fun of them and mocking them. But what's amazing, what began to happen is as they continued to preach and proclaim the gospel boldly, the, the cool dude, like Mr. Popular, who throws all these parties, began to like hush the crowd as they were mocking the students because he started to tune in to what they were saying about real life and where it's found. He's like, shh, 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 listen to these guys, man. They're, they're, this is something good. Like he became so tuned in that he began to hush the crowd. And that night, these students said a couple of hundred students came to know Jesus at this rave early in the morning, surrounded by tons of alcohol and drugs and, and whatever else. A couple hundred students placed their faith in Jesus that night. So a couple of weeks go by and Mr. Popular, like the cool dude in town, actually gets in a car accident and he dies. His mom, guess who she reaches out to? The two Christian students and she says to them, I don't know you well at all, but I know what my son said about you and I know that he would want you to speak at his funeral. And so then they get the chance to share the gospel at this dude's funeral. Why? 
all because they were bold enough and had the faith enough to begin to think outside of the box of what does church look like? How do we talk about Jesus? How does passion look for this generation? And they had a crazy idea. What if we got a venue for free and made a deal with the party scene that we preached the gospel at the end of their rave? Yeah, and God is using that for his kingdom and his glory. That's the kind of faith that I think this generation is capable of. And those students were interviewed after this and they were asked, dude, were you afraid? Like, were you just fearless in that? And they both were like, no, dude, we were terrified. Like getting up in front of thousands of partiers, booing you and mocking you. And we were scared. How'd you do it? We felt like God wanted us to. We were faithful to God. God operates many times in our life, not always, but many times, not by his ability, but by our faith. Is your understanding of Jesus, is your idea of Jesus limiting how God is operating in your life and through your life? Real quick, Mark chapter six, this parallel passage, Jesus goes to his hometown, Mark chapter six, verse one. He goes to his hometown, his disciples followed him, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. So he's the guest of honor. He grew up here, like this is Jesus' town. He's the guest of honor. Many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So they understood Jesus' power. They're not blind to his power. So they're amazed at Jesus initially, but then their amazement moves towards annoyance. This is really bizarre. They, this is the town Jesus grew up. Everybody is hearing him teach. They're like, whoa, who is this dude? How does this happen? Where did he get this power from? And then verse three, look at this. Isn't this the carpenter? Like, isn't this the son of Mary, the brother of James and, and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are his sisters not here with us? Like, they're looking at them, like, we know this dude, what? Like, how, where did he get this? But this isn't Jesus. We, we grew up with this dude, man. We saw this guy when he was a baby. And they took offense at him. It's not that they didn't see his power. They saw his power. What they took offense at was that in their minds, they knew who he was so well, they couldn't comprehend that he's operating like this. They took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own household and he could do no mighty work there. Look at this. It's not that he wouldn't do a mighty work there. It's not like Jesus is saying, well, you don't have faith in me. I'm not doing it here. It says he could not do it. It's one of the rare times we see something limiting how Jesus is able to express his power. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few six sick people, and he healed them. Verse six, and he marveled, this is our word, he was amazed because of their unbelief. So Luke seven, we have this Gentile Roman soldier who everyone would think would not believe in Jesus. And in Mark six, we have this group of Jewish people who grew up with Jesus and know him better than anyone. And those would be the people you would think, be like, boys teaching now. And you have like the complete opposite response that most people would assume. It's the Roman soldier that amazes Jesus with his faith. It's the Jewish people who know him the best that amaze Jesus with their lack of faith. He could not do much with them because they did not believe in him. Many times God operates not by his ability, but by our faith. 
And this kind of makes sense, right? Like think about when you first start dating someone, how exciting it is. Like, ooh, everything's so nice. Like girls, you know when you first start dating a dude and you're like, oh, he's so mysterious. That's so attractive to me. Give it about six months. And you're like, he just seems so stoic all the time. He like never tells me how he's feeling. Like what's going on with this dude? What initially was attraction is now annoyance, right? Think about your relationship with Jesus. Think about when you first believed how exciting it was, how you were so excited to come to church and worship and read his Bible and tell people about him and bring your friends to church. And it's like the more familiar you got with Jesus, the less awe you have of him. Familiarity breeds apathy. You can have a miracle happen right in front of you and you might see it as mundane because you're used to it. These were people who knew Jesus the best and they took offense at him and he couldn't do much with them because of their lack of faith. So the question I think on the table is, are we so familiar with Jesus? Have we become so familiar with Jesus in our relationship, in our walk with him? Have we made it all about the building and the day of the week? Have we made it all about like the ritual? And I go and I check off a box and we sing a few songs and I hear a sermon and I don't ever read the scriptures, actually dig in and get to know who Jesus is and my prayer life sings. And all it is is just kind of rhythm that I'm so bored with and I'm not experiencing much life. Have we allowed the familiarity with Jesus to grow so much that we're no longer amazed by who he is. We stop being amazed when Jesus becomes common. Like when Jesus is no longer new and fresh, like when everything becomes kind of routine, and we stop being amazed. And that in and of itself is kind of amazing, don't you think? That you can have the king of kings, the bringer of the new covenant, the one who inaugurated the kingdom of God, brought it down to earth so we could be a part of his kingdom. The God-man, the one who walked among us, who lived here 2,000 years ago, who had authority over the weather, over the demonic realm, with the scriptures, with the word of God, because he is the word of God. The one who healed the sick and the deaf and the lame and the blind. The one who raised people from the dead. That we can actually have a relationship with God himself who says his full presence abides and lives within us. And we snooze on it because it's familiar. There are roads that Jesus is willing to walk down in your life because he's gracious and merciful and he'll operate in that way. But I'm telling you, there are things that God wants to do in your life that you're not seeing because you don't have the faith to ask for yet. And why don't you have the faith to ask for? Because this whole thing's become familiar. Some of you guys are about to enter college, your next step, like you're launching out into some independence you've never experienced before. And the temptation of the world is, it's just not worth it to maintain this thing, so let it go. Do you have the faith to begin to see Jesus entirely outside of the box, so much so that you completely redefine what he's able to do in this life through you, in you, and in the world. Some of you guys are are continuing your high school journey, and for you, it's just like, I don't know, man, like, I'm going from freshman to sophomore. It's not that exciting. Some of you are like junior to senior, like, who last year? How is Jesus amazing to you 
How are you allowing Jesus to be amazing? Or have you just become so familiar with this whole thing that you're asleep on it? Like what would have happened if Moses looked at the burning bush and kept on walking? What would have happened if the friends bringing their paralyzed man to Jesus saw that the house was full and thought, ah, we'll try again a different time? What would have happened if the woman bleeding for 12 years never thought to touch his clothes? No one had ever done that before. What would happen if you began to think less of Jesus like the ritual and the mundane, the familiarity that is bred kind of boredom? What if you began to think of him as who the scriptures say he really is? the God of the universe who put on skin, who really lived and walked among us, who taught us and showed us what the best life possible was like and then invites us into it and empowers us to live it with him and through him forever. What if you began to catch the vision that this whole life is not about your 80 to 90 years on this rock, on this planet. It's actually about what God wants to do through you with your very, very brief amount of time here. What if you begin to have the faith to say, dude, what if we thought about this whole thing outside of the box of religiosity and began to have amazing faith and took a risk and took a chance and went out on a limb and felt silly about it, but began to see God move in ways you've never even known he could. Do you have the courage to do that as you enter high school or continue high school? Do you have the courage to do that as you go into college or your next chapter of life? What would it look like for this generation to grab hold of amazing faith and allow God to radically change their world through you guys? Let's pray. Jesus, we're encountered tonight with a story of how amazing you are. Uh, and two times in scripture, when you were amazed, the only two times ever recorded, and one is a positive, you were amazed at the faith of this Roman soldier, and the other is a negative, you were amazed at the lack of faith of, of the closest people to you, people who grew up with you. They couldn't comprehend that you had become and grown into this man who, who speaks and teaches this way and does these things. Their familiarity with you limited their comprehension of you. Oh, I pray that would never be true of us. May we always be people of amazing faith, allowing you to work in ways that you desire to work. Would we always be people who see the bigger picture, not just our immediate circumstances in this life, but who you are and what you wanna do in this world through us and in us. Jesus, we pray that we would snap out of our apathy, that we would see beyond the mundane, that we'd grow out of our boredom, that we begin to be in awe of you and amazed by you and worship you and have faith that no generation previous has ever seen before. That amazing faith would be a mark of this generation. We pray you'd give us the courage to do that. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name, by the power of your spirit. Amen.